Good morning, church. I was thinking about Jake's car. Boy, do I have a car for someone. <laughs> it's called a Tiburon. I've been working on it for eight years. <clears throat> it looks about as good as that. <clears throat> Anyhow, just kidding. Um, welcome. Welcome here today. We're glad that you're here. And I really do believe God has a challenge and a word for us all. It would open up our hearts. But I know you heard about the uh, Marine Corps banquet, which is coming up. And we started this eight years ago in the detachment. I'm part of the Marine detachment. And uh, the Marines help and serve in this community. <clears throat> Those are a part of the Marine detachment. And Navy, Navy corpsmen, too, they're invited to the banquet. And uh, the church also buys uh, a few tables. And so if you really would like to go, it's not a fundraiser. It's not something that you come and get strong-armed. It's just come to honor the veterans. And so it's a delicious meal. It's at the VFW. <clears throat> and it's always on the Marine Corps birthday, November 10th. Hoorah. <laughs> and anyhow, there's a few Marines, but they're not here today. Uh, but we thank God for all the military that has served in uh, our country. <clears throat> this is a way we can uh, just bless uh, the detachment. If you'd like to sponsor a table and you don't want to attend, we will honor that. And, uh, but if you'd like to sponsor a table, you have to get six tickets and you can invite whoever. And, and uh, we're pushing for about <clears throat> 150 this year. And <clears throat> excuse me, I, I think we're close to 90 already s signed up. And so uh, there's information out there. And then there's also information, excuse me, about uh, if you want to help serve. And we usually have uh, uh, some that, that help with that. And then also set up that time. And so that information is all out there on the table. Amen. Amen. Well, let's take a moment and pray <clears throat> and ask for God's blessing as we share the word of God. Heavenly Father, I humble myself before you. I do recognize that in and of myself, I have nothing good to say, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, I thank you, Lord, and I invite you in here that you would speak through me. Give to your people that only you are able to do what they need to hear today, what is spoken, and, and speak to their hearts, O oh God, that they would leave here with a rhema word for their life and for their family, and for this church. We ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, <clears throat> amen, amen. Um, I'm going to probably share some things uh, just by nature of uh, one of the stories that has come to me as we continue on this series, Stewarding the Move of God, and I've kind of subtitled this uh, A Dwelling Place for God, and we've been talking the last few weeks, and Angie shared a few weeks ago also about the, the uh, protecting uh, the presence of the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, and how important that is in our church, that we all have a part to play in that. And <clears throat> we said this, that uh, to steward actually means to actively direct the affairs, to, ad to manage, to administer, to guide, to supervise. I like this, to carry on. Can we say that? Say carry on. We are to carry on God's presence in our generation. And I said this a few weeks ago that I'm not responsible for what happened 100 years ago. And you know what? But we are in some sense responsible for what happens for the next generation. 
we do have that, that calling and that, and that weight, and also in our present situation. I want the Lord to say, not just for my life, but for all of your lives, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's, that's my heart, and I believe that's your heart. Amen? 1 Peter 4.10 tells us that each one of us has received a gift, and the Bible says, employ it in serving one another as appropriate for good stewards. So we are to steward God's house. And I said this last week, and as just a brief recap, every church, according to the Bible, is supposed to be a dwelling place for God's presence. It's supposed to be. <clears throat> Sadly, not all churches that way. Not going to criticize any of that, but uh, we are the representation here at Harvest and other churches that are meeting in this community and our nation and globally today. We are the spiritual body of Christ where Jesus is the head, amen, and he is Lord. <clears throat> Ephesians 2.22 was our text. It's, the Bible says, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place. You are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. First uh, Peter 2.5 says, you believers, like living stones, I'll say that again, you believers, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house for a holy and dedicated priesthood. Wow, and then Ephesians 3.21 says, to him be glory in the church. If I say that name, glory, what does that mean, glory? Is it just a feeling? Is it, just a, is it in the midst or whatever? No, it's God's presence in our midst. How many of you know that you can be in a place and not sense the presence, but then when you are in a place and sense the presence, you'll never forget it? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And when God's presence inhabits a place because he's drawn to uh, those people, I mean, know you can build a building and it can be just a building. But we know that the building, even though there are there, there's a sacredness, I believe, about uh, buildings when the people of God come to gather in that place, but really, it's the Spirit of God in each of the believers, then there's a corporate anointing. When we come together, God does something special, as he even is doing right now, I believe that. And we talked about how do we facilitate that and, and create an atmosphere where God enjoys to be in the presence. How many have ever traveled to some places and then you try to stop where, uh, 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 like a hotel, but you always try to find a breakfast place? You know what I mean? Or an easy access place where you can, wow, and then you pull into a neighborhood and you go, this is a nice place. Wow, or they have something for the kids. There's a pool there or a little playground, and, and then we can have breakfast here, and, and then we can continue to travel on. What am I trying to say? I think God, the Spirit of God is like that. He is drawn and he inhabits the places that people are hungry. The mindset of the people is not just come, oh, I can't wait till this Italian shuts up so I can get out of here. Amen? Uh, come because I want to worship God and I want to draw near to him and I, I come with gratitude in my heart to worship him for he alone is worthy and he's been so good to me. You know, I'm going through some stuff. He still is good. And that is magnetic to the Spirit of God. Instead of coming to church, clocking in, and leaving. Somebody say, preach, Pastor Mike. I believe I will. 
<laughs> Amen? So we talked last week, we to raise the expectation. We talked about the importance of prayer, and there's all types and kinds of prayer. We talked about encountering worship, exhortation, preaching the word of God. And you know, sadly, in some churches, you never hear a Bible verse. That's sad, and that's devastating. The word of God should be shared when we gather together. And there should be time provided for ministry. We try to have that every Sunday after the service. And opportunity at times for testimonies. We heard one today, and we provide that as an equipping church. And here's the thing. Let's not settle for a low-level presence. Now that we're in the building and God has blessed us and we bought some land and, and actually the kids' playground equipment is out there and soon to be set up. Can I get it? amen? And, you know, and all these fun things. That's wonderful. That's great. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Our worship to our king. Can I get an amen? And so, you know, let me get a little bit on a sidetrack here. Especially in the upper Midwest, you know, there's kind of a mindset, I'm trying to be critical, just an observation. You know, most churches, the pastor or elected few, they do everything. And it's a term called clerical George. I have ever heard that term. Clerical George, he, he does all the preaching, the teaching. He does all the laying on of hands. Uh, he does, you know, the offering. He Actually, he can sing, and I cannot sing. So, you know, clerical George, and he does everything in the church because that's what he does. That's his job. This is not a job for me, it's a calling. It's a calling. And each of us are called with our gifts to add to the house of God, to bless the kingdom of God, and then our communities, and then the nations, amen? And so <clears throat> the Bible says we are being built together into a dwelling place for God. And so I view my job description, my wife and I, as that we are to help equip, empower, help you discover your gifts, and help you move in that and grow in that. Can I get an amen? amen. And so, <clears throat> so we contend for the presence of God. Uh, it's really not a complicated thing. We need to pray as we fast. You know, when we fast at the beginning of the year, I'm amazed at some of the stories of people that, that have come up and told me personally, I've never fasted before. The dread of just the name, the four-letter word fast, was horrible to me, you know, and how it's changed my life, how I've heard the voice of God more clearly and plans for my life and my family and my business. And so, so we fast, we seek, we teach about it. We give opportunity for the Holy Spirit to move in our midst, and we continue to testify about the Holy Spirit and what he's done. Can I get an Amen. And so, so my desire, our desire should be one of creating a culture of the presence of God in our church. And so because of this, we, we believe that many lives, many lives will be touched and continue to be touched, young and old, and transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I believe it's so important that we steward God's house in his presence, that we protect that, that we walk around and we, 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 you know, what we say, what we do, how we act is all to protect the presence of God in our midst. Can you say amen? And so <clears throat> uh, Satan is a master at hijacking the presence of God in our life. He really is. He's a master at it. And we know that God is omnipotent and he's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. And he's all powerful. We know he can just squash 
the enemy, even though he did defeat him 2,000 years ago, but he could just squash him as like a, just a little bean and how powerful our God is. But we know that Satan is the God, small g, of this world, the Bible says in Corinthians, and he has still, he rules and he reigns, even though he was uh, defeated at the cross. And, and so what is our job and our role? Even though he's defeated, he doesn't want to give up power. So we are God's enforcers of that victory on Calvary. And we're to say, no, you were defeated, and this is how we want our community to be. Can I get an amen? This is what we want taught in our schools. This we want our kids to be taught. We don't, you know, we're not embracing that. And so we are praying for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because the kingdom isn't fully here. So we are to pray that. We are to pray that and contend for God's presence. And so we are to protect that. And there's, an old te- there's many old, te- old Testament examples of God's heart for his people. Um, but uh, this first one I want to just delve into, and I might seem to jump around a little bit here because I'm trying to give a little bit of a background so you get the impact of really uh, what I want to say. And so, so if you could sum up what I'm about to say, you could sum it up probably about in a line. It's this. God desires to dwell with his people. He is passionate about dwelling with his people. Now I want to share what I want to share. He desires to dwell with his people. You know, we've heard about the Westminster short, shorter catechism that says this, the chief end of all men is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I believe that's true. But there is an Old Testament picture and a story that just came to me a few weeks ago in 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel chapter 5, and it shows how even in the darkest, bleakest moments, God is unstoppable in his pursuit for his children, you and I. That means God's desire and heart every day is to commune and to be with you, to fellowship, to give you the answers that you need, to touch your life and your family, to give you the direction. And he's unstoppable. That means God desires to dwell, to commune with his people. In the Old Testament, in Psalm 63, 1, David cried out and he was longing. He said, oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. That was the cry of David's heart. So we see this story. Let me just illustrate in 1 Samuel chapter 5. uh, We see that the Ark of the Covenant. I've always been fascinated by the Ark of the Covenant and and just some of some movies that Hollywood has come out with, and, and but just studying about the Ark of the Covenant, and we see that in this chapter, the Ark of the Covenant has been captured by Israel's mortal enemies, the Philistines. And boy, are we still dealing with the Philistines today in situations. And, and, and that might even be worse than it sounds. It was said, uh, at least in, in some of the movies, that the Ark made the army of Israel invincible. The ark, bringing the ark into battle. And I think when I think of the ark uh, of the covenant, I think of uh, the 1981 film Raiders of the Lost Ark. Some of you have seen it, Harrison Ford, who also was Han Solo in Star Wars. Just want to throw that out. Uh, thank you. The last scene, you know, the last scene is pretty, back then, this is 1981, okay, and the graphics that they had, it was pretty riveting, and the Nazis steal the ark, and then they look, and they peer into the ark, and, 
and uh, uh, Indiana Jones, well, they're tied to a pole, and Marion's behind him. Don't open your eyes, Marion. Don't, no matter what happens, don't open your eyes. And, and the Nazis see these beautiful beings that come out, and then they turn fearful and dreadful, and they're melted like wax to nothing. And let's never forget that. It's a pretty riveting scene. And I think about this, though, but in Numbers chapter 4, verse 20, looking into the ark was forbidden. And I'm actually going somewhere with all this about the ark. In 1 Samuel 6, 19, the Bible says the men of Beth Shemesh looked into it, and many of them perished. Many of them perished. Only Aaron and the high priest and his sons could look into the ark. Uh, and it was actually the high priest, the, the lineage of Levi that could serve before the Lord with the ark. And so when I think about, you know, what was inside the ark briefly, the size of it was about 3.9 inches long, 2.3 inches wide and tall. Then there was two angels, cherubims, that uh, covered the ark. In the middle of that was the lid, and it was the mercy seat there in the ark. And so the Ten Commandments, actually the second set. How many know Moses broke the first set? You rebels, and he smashed them and let's go up and let's get another set. And they come back with another set, so that was in there. And Aaron's rod, that's talking about the priestly lineage, budded in number 16. And then it was a pot of golden manna. How many remember manna? It actually means in Hebrew, what is it? It was food that God provided the children of Israel, and it would spoil, but there is an ongoing little bowl there, a pot of manna that never spoiled, that was in the ark of God's provision for his people. So why was the ark taken? There's a whole message just on that. But I would say, in short, God's favor, watch this, had been withdrawn from the sons of Eli, the children of Israel, and because of the crimes that they committed in the temple or in the church. Now, watch this. <clears throat> Eli was uh, the judge at that time, the Bible says, and uh, he had sons that were quite immoral. And I'll maybe get to that in a moment. But let me just say this. In the era of the judges, the Philistines, they became a very serious threat to Israel. So they sought to expand their territory, and they took land allotted to the tribe of Dan, the Bible says in Judges 13, forcing the Danites to move north. And in 1 Samuel 4, 1 says that Israel went out to battle against the Philistines, and that was the Battle of Athlete. And textual evidence from the Septuagint, which is the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament, indicates that the Philistines were the aggressors. Sounds real familiar today. Very familiar. <clears throat> and so the Philistines defeated the children of Israel. 4,000 of them initially in the first battle were killed. And then uh, that defeat, now watch this, prompted Israel to ask this question. Why has the Lord defeated us today because of the Philistines? Why are we defeated? What happened? What have we done wrong? And uh, some read originally uh, about the Philistines, just a little bit brief history, that some of them believe that they actually came from the island of Crete in the Mediterranean, uh, and some say maybe from Turkey or Egypt, regardless, whatever. Just them asking this question, the children of Israel, why have we been defeated? They had a high view of divine protection in their country. In other words, they believed that as they served the Lord, the Lord would protect. Well, how many of you know that God does not do evil? 
He does not. But even when, you know, when bad things happen to God's people, God will use those negative events and turn things around for his plan. He will work things out according to the counsel of his will. So, so the Israelites actually, they understood that God was involved in their defeat. They recognized that. Now, here's where they went wrong. They came up with the wrong answer. How do we get the Lord to fight for them? So they were defeated, and they wouldn't really recognize, say, okay, well, it was maybe the sins, and Eli, his sons, us as a nation. But then they, they, they came with the wrong answer, and they figured, they're like, hey, let's bring the ark into battle. When the ark goes into battle, we know for certain God's going to give us victories. How many see this? Say amen. Little bit of the background here. <clears throat> and so the ark symbolized God's presence, his footstool on earth, if you could say it that way, which, you know, God is almighty. It represented his presence in the tabernacle in the temple, Exodus 25 talks about. And so um, <clears throat> here's the thing. Let me just digress a little bit here. Uh, didn't know if I'd get into this, but I feel just maybe to share it to bring perspective about the land of Israel. God promised the land to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob in Genesis 12. Verse 13, it is called the Abrahamic Covenant. And, and, and there was a promise of the land with very specific area geographically that they were to have from God, okay? Uh, Genesis 15, uh, it is their heritage from the Lord. It wasn't not just a promise uh, given to the Jews, but it's their God-given right. Numbers 34, Ezekiel 47, Exodus 23, you know, I found some things that were quite fascinating and interesting reading this past week just as a way of, of, of I thought, would be interesting, even in the Quran, the Muslim uh, uh, holy teaching. Uh, Quran chapter 17, verse 104 says this, and we said thereafter to the children of Israel, dwell securely in the promised land. Another chapter, Quran 521 Oh, my people, the Jews, enter the holy land which God has assigned to you. Quran 17.104, spoken by Allah. And we said to the children of Israelites afterwards, settle and live all over the world. And when the end of the world is near, we will gather you again into the promised land. That's in the Quran. You know, let me just say this. Why do the Jews live in Israel today? The land is not a gift of the United Nations. And it's not there necessarily by might of conquest. Now watch this. It is there on account of history. It is there because God said it and God made it so. Take it up with him. I'm not going to argue that. However, there are many, many Palestinians right now that are furious about what has happened. Their life has been upended. They were making pizza or whatever, and someone launches from their country, and they're in war, and, and they're in turmoil, and they don't want this. Even many, even in Iran. I was reading about a, a, a reporter, and it, it's tragic. It's tr absolutely tragic what's happened on both sides. I remember I was in Israel in 1988. I remember uh, for the uh, Feast of Pentecost, and I went when, when I was in Christ for the Nations. I was there for about a month traveled all through the country and seen the holy sites. And, um, and I was at the part uh, where 
it was old Jericho, new Jericho, and there was a little convenience store there. And I remember there was a bunch of young kids there. They were probably six, seven, eight years old. They were playing, and they were asking for candy. And, and I just remember in pause just saying, hey, how's it going here? How are you guys doing? Oh, great. We're talking. And I just said this sentence. I said, hey, what do you think about the, 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 the Israelites here with you as you guys are together? And boy, the kids spewed out some things that were just really bitter. It was really bitter. And I remember that moment, I, I cried out, Lord, please don't call me to Israel to be a pastor. <laughs> I don't know how to fix this. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I don't know how to, because, you know, it's just pain on both sides. Really, it's just, it's just horrible. It's horrible. And there's actually 45,000 Palestinian Christians. Uh, uh, most of them are in the West Bank, not many in the Gaza Strip there that are, that are believers. And so uh, in this situation, our heart is to pray that God just bring peace and end this thing quickly. Can I get an amen? All right? And so just a little sidetrack there. But, but when we talk about the ark quickly here, the ark represented God's presence in the children of Israel's midst. And so Moses and Joshua carried the ark and, and into battles in Numbers 10 and Joshua 6. And, um, but here's the thing. The spiritual condition of Israel during the era of the judges was so bad that they thought that the mere presence of the ark would guarantee them a victory, kind of like a rabbit's foot. And let me just say this, God's presence and gifts are not magical objects, okay? He does not bless that kind of flagrant disobedience that Israel was involved in. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 2 that Eli, who was the judge of Israel for 40 years, and his sons, they were scoundrels. When you think about how bad things can get sometimes in temples or in churches, they had no regard for the Lord. And his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, when they would bring in the meat offering, they were supposed to boil it first, pull it out, and give some to the priests there in the sons. Hophni and Phinehas would say, give me the best portion before you cook it. I want this. I want the tenderloin. Or I want, you know, whatever. And they took it. But on top of that, which was an affront, they were sleeping with the women in the temple. Major immorality. Major immorality. I used to do it with me this morning. You could, you, could, you could say that you know, there was all this immorality. And so we see now that the Philistines defeated Israel and they captured the ark. They captured it. And they had it actually for seven months in their, in their cities, seven months. You know, sadly, today, how many know that we're not less immune to treating the things of God as sometimes like magic tokens, believing that Doing the right things without the right heart can somehow secure God's blessing for our life. It might speak to anybody, right? You know, it's, there are people in churches all around the world who think that they're right with God simply because maybe they attend church. I'm going to do my duty. I'm going to attend, you know, so I'm good to go, <clears throat> not really being converted, you know, or maybe serve in different capacities, leadership, or in the church, or come to clean up days. I mean, all those things are wonderful. They're amazing. Those are admirable things, helping, serving in the house of God. But how many know one does not have to be converted to do any of that? You don't even have to be saved to do that. You, just, you can just come and just, and just do that. And so the, the <clears throat> let me just say this. Let's not be among those. I can say it this way, who trust in what we do 
for God's approval, to be reconciled to him, but we serve the Lord because we've repented. We believe, we invite him in the heart, and we serve out of gratitude and thankfulness. Amen? So, so back to the story here quickly. I'm soon to be finished here. Uh, the Philistines had taken the Ark of the Covenant to the temple in Ashdod, which uh, Dagon was their god, and it was a half man, half fish. That was their god in their temple. And Dagon was probably the head of the Philistine uh, temple, a pantheon, and, and uh, Dagon actually means fish god, half man, half fish. And uh, <clears throat> let me just say it this way, and this is one of my points. This is a symbolic picture, I believe, even of many lives today in the church, what's happening prophetically, <clears throat> that with this Old Testament picture, we see the presence of God and the enemy trying to steal it from our hearts. What do you mean by that, Pastor Mike? How can, you can't steal the, God, the presence of God. Once again, Old Testament Hebrew says these things are written for our example. Today, these are pictures. And I think about this symbolic picture. The enemy stole the ark, which is symbolic. The enemy tries to steal our worship. Come on, somebody. He, he tries to steal God's presence in our life because of everything that's going on. And we focus on everything else and not on him, right? Or, you know, where he tries to steal our ability to conquer and move forward. Wants us to draw back. Am I speaking to anybody? So we don't know what's going on. We're just going to keep drawing back. Just keep drawing back. Just let this hide. Let's just hide. I understand that. <laughs> You know, and so he tries to steal these things, our confidence, our, our boldness in our faith. He tries to steal this from our life. And really what's going on is spiritual warfare is going on in our nation and globally. Spiritual warfare. It's what's happening in our day. And Satan is, is attempting to steal from the people of God. And how does he do it? He does it through fear. He, he, he does it through offense. He, he sometimes even does it through health issues. So occupied. I don't know what it was for this summer for some reason, and I just blinked, and summer's gone. I mean, I was thinking about planting seeds somewhere, and it's already October coming on, you know, and, but, but there was a lot of, I just, for some reason this summer, I felt like there was just a tremendous attack just physically, like my back being jacked up. You know, sometimes I wake up, I feel like I've been in tumbled in a dryer full of stones with nails. You know what I mean? Good morning. <laughs> you know, what's going on here? And, you know, the whole summer, I woke up one morning for no reason. Nobody came with a bat and went pow to my hip. I woke up, I couldn't move for four days. I couldn't put my pants on because you have to put the weight. Is this too much information? I'm sorry. I couldn't pull my pants off. My wife's, what's the matter with you? I feel like I'm falling apart. Is anybody out there? You know, and I'm like, what is going on? But it was affecting me. You reach down and grab a little tissue, whatever. You're laid up for four days. What's going on? You know? And, and so I just think all these things, the enemy, he's out there. He wants to steal our worship. He wants to steal our boldness. He wants to steal our testimony. He, we got to be awake, church. We got to be awakened. This, this is not the season, especially what's going on in the Middle East. It's not the season. Actually, let me just interject this, and it's not a sermon. This is not the end. 
Just want you to know, it's not the end. The table's not fully set. I'll talk about that maybe some other day, in my opinion. And I am not the Old Testament, New Testament prophetic voice. But there, I, there's so much more. Half, half the globe hasn't even heard the gospel. Does God care about all those people? He sure does. The table's not fully set. Anyhow. But um, so getting back, I digress there. It was in those days a common practice, if I could say it this way, that... That, that for one people to capture another's gods, watch this, was understood that the people whose gods were in the enemy's hands, we completely defeated you. So they would capture their god in many of the leaders or the king. They'd put a chain around his neck and they would walk down the street. They would whip him and we won. We're the victors and we have their god. Well, the Philistines went into a roar. They captured the ark of God and Israel was defeated. And so what did they do? And so with the Ark of the Covenant and Dagon's temple, it looked like the God of Israel had squashed, been squashed by Dagon, the God of the Philippines. And, and so, so now the, the, the Ark is in a demonic deity's temple. And it's before Dagon. And here's the, the Ark representative of the presence of God stolen. In the enemy's camp, you can say it this way. But what happens is the Philistines, they woke up the next morning and they came to the temple and they found Dagon bowed down in front of the temple, in front of the ark. So they probably looked around and said, maybe this wasn't on some good ground here because the threshold was perfectly level. Maybe, maybe there was a little earthquake or something and it just kind of fell down. So they propped it back up. The next day, when they returned, this time, the head and the arms were cut off of Dagon. Now, someone living in ancient Near Egypt, that had a very specific and chilling meeting. You cut off the head and the hands of the enemies you had killed in battle. Wow. And so in 1 Samuel 5, 6, we see what happens. Watch this. Outside of the temple, the Bible says, the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod. The hand of the Lord was heavy. And it says he terrified and afflicted them with tumors and fear and all this other stuff that overcame them in the whole territory. And then this, this, if you read further, it talks about the mice that came out and was an outbreak. And uh, many scholars uh, believe that God brought an outbreak of the bubonic plague, the black death to Ashdod. Just was released there. And so now the people were smart enough to know in Ashdod that they dreaded the might of God. And, and so they gathered the Philistine leaders together. Now watch this. And they decided, okay, what do we do with this ark? We get it out of our town. We don't want it. And so what they did is they sent it to Gath. And actually that's where Goliath was born in Gath. And so the Bible says God afflicted the people of Gath. They couldn't take it. Then it says the Philistine leaders sent the ark to Ekron. It's about 11 miles away. So the ark goes up there, and the Bible says God afflicted the people of Ekron. And the Bible says terror swarmed among the Philistines as they became acquainted with the dreadful power of God. Do you know the army can end in a moment? God can come upon a people in an army and bring fear that they turn against each other and they flee. As I shared last week as we prayed for Israel and and the whole situation, um, God can turn the whole thing around in a moment. Be prepared for God's intervention 
in the future here. But terror just swarmed, and, and Ashdod and the ark, and, and uh, they, they brought the ark into their temple with confidence, and they left with fear. The ark was gone. Then we see in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 9, um, it says, it is received in Gath with a very great panic. So the word was out. And it says that there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. And they cried out and said, send it away. So they see it coming. And like, we don't want it in our town. We don't want the ark of God. We don't want the presence in our midst. God will go where he's welcome. He will, did you hear that? He will go where he is welcome. Almost done here. And, you know, let me just say this. How many know that our God is a mighty and a fearsome God? I mean, you may view him as a father, and he is a father. We need him as a father at time and a, as a loving father and, and to embrace. But he is, a, he is an awesome God. He has the ability to take our spirit after death and bring us to heaven, or he has the power to send it to hell through how we lived in this life. Are you listening to me this morning? That's power. And we are to reverence him. We are to fear him in our life. And even though we know him as Savior and Father, but he deserves our reverential fear and our wonder as well. Amen? And so he does. He commands our world. But he cannot be stopped from fulfilling his good purpose. And I thought, what is his good purpose? And it's this. He wants to dwell among his people. That is the point of this sermon. God desires to dwell among his people. Exodus 29 says, I will dwell among the people of Israel. Be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God desire. He's constantly in pursuit to dwell with his people, to be with you, to commune with you, but we're so busy. We got so many things going on. You know, if you travel recently and if you, if you go anywhere, especially, you know, in this day and age, what's the first thing you see if you're in an airport where people are sitting? They're on their phones. Every head is down. You could look around and go, man, just about everybody. Or they're walking, you know, with their phones. And, and we're just so busy, so engrossed. And what's happening next? And, 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 and so God is saying, hey, I want to dwell with you. I want to know you. I want to get to know you. That's the heart of God. And so we see when the ark is captured in 1 Samuel 5, it could seem like there was an interruption in the narrative where Israel leaders are absent and Eli, the high priest, he's dead. And if you continue to read on, we see Eli, his sons have been killed. And even though Samuel's words had come to all Israel, he's not yet leading the people of God in 1 Samuel 4. But how many you know that God is not dependent solely upon human leadership? He's not finished with his people. I said he's not finished with his people. He moves among the people in, in, in judgment in Philistine. And then he shows his glory. He returns the ark of God to Israel, which is his presence. Stand with me if you would, please. How many know that God chooses to use us, but he doesn't have to? <laughs> he's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He has chosen, I believe, he has limited himself. How does God limit himself? He has chosen to. I'm going to work through the affairs of man. Why? Because I still believe, and I always believe that God has given us a free will. He has given us all. He's given you a free will. Exodus 25, 8 says, Then have them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. I want to draw near to them, as James says. 
As we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. How many know that the cross is a vivid picture of God drawing near to us? Well, what has he done for me? Where is he at? How could 2,000 years ago he came in to our, our world and he drew near. He made a way. He made a way that we could have a relationship with him. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? That word temple actually means neos. It actually means it's a picture of the holy of holies. Every single one of you, when you came to this building that are believers, you brought a little bit of the holy of holies with you here today. The place that only a priest could go once a year, you brought. That, that, that's what dwells within you. And so that presence, that person wants to commune with you. We are stewarding the move of God, creating a dwelling place for God. Can I get it? Amen. And so here's the thing, as I conclude. Many of you, the enemy has attacked you. He has attacked your ark. He has attacked your place of worship, your place of the presence, your place of communion. This isn't legalism. This is life. The enemy attacks, and he gets us distracted. Your place of where you commune with him. He's attacked relationships. How does he do it? He, does, he works through disappointment. He works through hurt. He works, come on, am I speaking to anybody? He works through offenses. He works through fear. Once again, health issues. And, and, and he tries to steal our worship to get us distracted on the big picture. Stealing the ark in our life. You know, what I find is fascinating is if you continue to read on, I'll just paraphrase that. The Philistines that get this ark out of our country and so some of them said, well, maybe it's coincidence. Maybe it's just a coincidence that these plagues broke out now. It may have been a disease, and it wasn't really attributed to the ark. So let's test it. I like that. Philistines wanted to test it. So they put it on a cart, new cart. They put some gold mice of all the five areas that the plague struck out. And then they took these female cows. They were milk cows that had baby calves. Now, I don't know much about farming, but I know that the baby calf wants to be with the mama, right? That's just the natural instinct. And they said that these cows never had a, a, a yoke on them. They never had a yoke. And so they put this yoke on them, which typically, if it's never had it, it would fight that. Just thinking, what are you doing with me? And so they set the ark on this, this cart with these female cows, and they took the, the babies, the baby calves, and they brought them back to another town. And they watched. And the first thing that the, the female cows did is they started to move and head to Israel. <laughs> head to Israel. And it says that they were like brawling or they were crying out. And, and, and they were, actually, if you dig deep into the Hebrew, it means that they were, they were frustrated. They're leaving their kids, but they got to go where God commanded them to go. Come on, somebody. And so they follow this all the way up into a city in Israel. They left. They left their own kids, if you could say it that way. They left what was dear to them because the, the presence was important in Israel. The presence was important. Every head bowed here this morning. God's good purpose is to dwell with his people. And Jesus said this in Matthew, a parable. He said there was a man who planted seed in his field 
And that night, while everyone was asleep, the man's enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and left. And he wakes up and he goes, these weeds begin to grow with the wheat. And so who did this, the servant said. Who, who planted this, the servants asked. And the Bible says, an enemy planted the weeds. I think that's the word for today. Has the enemy planted weeds in your soul? Ha, come on. Has the enemy, have you allowed the enemy to plant a weed in your soul? Let's grow up. And so the Bible says in that, it's like, well, don't tear up the, the weeds because you might pull up the wheat. And it's a picture for us today. How many know that God's word, when it's planted, it's going to take, it's going to grow. But Satan is constantly sowing weeds in our fields. So we don't stew it properly. God's presence in our place, in our house, in our family, in the church family. think about the weeds uh, so many weeds in life that we have to overcome and not let them defeat us I'm speaking to myself also friends in the end God will vindicate the evil but in many instances we are to rebuke the devourer and I'm just going to pray right now and I want to open up the altars too in a moment when I pray this prayer, but first with every head bowed, if you would, I want to speak a word of encouragement to those who say, Pastor, I'm not right. I'm not right with the Lord. I need to get right with God. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is a great day for you come to come into right relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. You must be born again. What does that mean? That you have a free will and a choice to receive under the voice of the Spirit right now Christ into your life. He will forgive you of your sins. He will cleanse you. He will restore you. He will place His Spirit within you, the Holy of Holies. But you must do that. You must consciously invite Him in. You say, Pastor, I want to do that. I want to pray for us corporately here before we do a general prayer for the church body you say that's me pastor can we pray this together say this we say Jesus I believe you died on the cross for my sin Jesus I give you my life now take it Jesus fill me with your spirit thank you for saving me I will serve you all the days of my life in Jesus name amen